Well, hello friends, uh, great to be with you today. And I'm in my study at home uh, recording this. Uh, I am the stand-in preacher today because uh, of uh, other sicknesses in the team. So I hope, uh, hope that's okay to have a substitute preacher this morning. But good to be together. And we are right in the middle of a series called The Culture of Heaven, which I really hope you're enjoying. And in this series, we're looking at what are the values of Christ's kingdom and how do they outwork in a multicultural church? And King's Arms is a beautifully, increasingly multicultural community and family from many different nations and languages and colors and backgrounds. And it's glorious. It's brilliant. Um, but we have to stop and ask this question. How do we actually live alongside one another when so many of us are from so many different backgrounds? And so that's what this series is all about. And we're looking through the lens of our five culture values as a church. Uh, we have five culture values. There will be an exam at the end of the series. There won't really. But our five culture values are honor, authenticity, acceptance, generosity, and courage. I'm really glad I remembered them myself. And so we're looking at these five culture values, these five ways of living and applying it to our lives together as a church family for many, many different nations. And so I hope you're enjoying the series and in fact, next week, we are, instead of a preacher, we're going to have a panel of people from different walks of life and backgrounds answering questions on this topic. And so if you've got any questions about being a multicultural church, how do we do this life together when we're from so many different backgrounds? There might be questions about uh, race. There might be questions about community life or values or all these kind of things. You can send in your questions and there's a, a special email that you can send them to. And it's simply culture at kingsarms.org. That's culture at kingsarms.org. You can send your question in and we'll try and get to as many of them as we can next Sunday with our brilliant panel, uh, which is going to be hosted by Paul Johnson. Uh, we're really looking forward to that particular Sunday. So do get your questions in. But for this morning... We are going to be turning to Acts and chapter 11 in the Bible, uh, where we're going to be exploring our culture of generosity and courage. So we're looking at this left right hook. If you're a boxer in a ring, generosity followed by courage. We're looking at these two culture values together. And to help us, we're going to dive into an example given by one of the most successful, most fruitful early churches that were planted in the New Testament, and that is the church in Antioch. And so we're going to turn to scripture now. If you've got a Bible, let's turn to Acts 11 and verse 27 and read about a moment in this church's life. This is what we read. Acts 11 verse 27. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. This they did entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. 
So, some comments on what we've just read. <clears throat> well, one Bible commentator writes this about this moment in Scripture. He says, As far as I know, this is the first charitable act of this nature in all recorded history. One race of people collecting money to help another race of people. No wonder they were first called Christians in Antioch. So what we just read was a real watershed moment because this was more than just one church taking up an offering for another church. This was one racial group of people giving to another racial group of people. Okay, this was more than one family giving to another family. It was a formerly divided people groups, Gentiles to Jews, one giving to the other. And this is an extraordinary and watershed culture shaping moment in the life of the early church. And what it does is demonstrate the reality and the power of how Jesus has transformed lives. He has so transformed the lives of the Gentile believers in Antioch that they are willing to give and sacrifice for the sake of other believers who are racially from a completely different background, but now have been made one family because of Jesus. This is a watershed moment and a highly, highly significant one. And of course, it speaks powerfully of generosity and courage working alongside one another. And so often these two do go hand in hand because it takes great courage to give stuff away to other people that you could have kept for yourself. It, to live a lifestyle of generosity and overflowing in the way that you give your time and your energy and your money and your resources and your, your love and your compassion. If you live that kind of lifestyle of generously giving, that takes courage to live that way because it's so much easier to just hoard and keep it all to yourself. It's so easy to let others serve us rather than living a life of service. But how many of you discovered that actually true life is found in giving your life away to others, not keeping it all to yourself? It takes courage to live radically generous. Likewise, it takes generosity to live courageously. We gotta to learn to live generous towards God because ultimately courage is the fruit of being generous towards him, that we're people that obey him, that we're generous with our, our mindsets and our openness and our lives, that we say, God, my life is yours. I'm being generous towards you. All that I have belongs to you. And if you want to call me to do something courageous, then you have bought me with a price and I belong to you and I'm going to be generous towards you. And God, I'll do anything you ask. So generosity and courage go hand in hand. And certainly we see that here in the church in Antioch. They were courageously generous towards people from a different culture than their own. I guess the question for us as we consider this passage is, is that true of you? And is it true of me? Do we live lives that are overflowing with generosity and courage towards others and towards God? Is, is that how people would see us as those that naturally give and live a lifestyle of courageous obedience? And that's what we're asking today as we look at this church in Antioch. 
And so what I want us just to consider are three of the pillars that underpin the reason that the believers in Antioch could live this way. What, what was it? What was at the source? What was at the root of them being able to live this kind of culture in their church? And so we're going to look at three pillars and what we can learn from it. And the first of those is quite simply the love of God. What was really at the source of their ability to live this way was the fact that they knew they were loved by God. (laughs) Ultimately, generosity and courage are the fruit of something else. They're the byproduct of something else. They they are almost the low-hanging fruit, but they come from another source. And for Christians, the source of being able to live generously and courageously is this. God loves you. God loves me. We have been bought with a price from a father who loves us. And so the natural fruit of understanding that we are loved is that we will give our lives away in a way that's generous and courageous. And the Christians at Antioch, I believe, lived this way because they understood we have been loved by God. He first loved us. Jesus went to the cross for us. Jesus bore our sins. He took them on himself. We are saved by him. He has put a crown on our head. He's given us a new name. He's washed our sins away as far as the east is from the west. He has removed our transgressions. He has given us a crown of righteousness. He's put a robe on our back. We've got a hope and a future. We're going to be with him forever and ever and ever. He's the God that's working out all things for our good. Even death has lost its sting. They would have been swallowed up in the knowledge that Jesus saved them because he loved them. And I believe because of that revelation, they were able to live in this countercultural way towards other people. Friends, ultimately, if we are going to be those that live out a culture of generosity and courage, particularly towards people that are different than us, its source has to be this revelation that we have been extravagantly loved by a perfectly heavenly father. You know, uh, how many of you discovered that sometimes it can take your brain to catch up with what has happened in your heart? You know, scripture says we have been bought with a price. We've been given a new identity. We're now royal sons and daughters. We've been given a new nature. A new nature is to please God, no longer to displease him. But sometimes it can take a lifetime for your head to catch up with what's happened in your heart. Which is why so often I have found my life can still so often be a battle with fear and anxiety. I still have to battle the fear of living generously or courageously because my mind has not yet caught up the reality of my new identity. I have been loved by God and Lord, I pray that my head would start to get that as well as my heart. Because fear can be incredibly crippling when it comes to living a life of courage and generosity. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth, the great Pentecostal pioneer, once said this about faith and fear. He said, fear looks, but faith leaps. Fear looks, but faith leaps. And I believe what he meant by that was when you're in a place of fear, you tend to weigh up and look at all the obstacles and logical reasons 
why you shouldn't live a life of faith, of generosity and courage. And so often fear examines and looks at things from an earthly point of view, but faith leaps. In other words, it trusts God. It actually says, I'm living a life beyond just looking at the natural and the pragmatic and the practical. My eyes are on God. And if he says, this is how I should live, then I'm going to leap into that future. You know, I remember the first time uh, as a young man that God asked me to give away a month's salary. I was about 25 at the time. And I was remember I was at a conference and I'd just been in a, an incredible moment of worship and listening to God. And I remember he really clearly spoke to me and told me to give away a month's wages, which is a bit, it was a big, big deal anytime, but then it felt like a massive deal. And I remember having that processing moment where I started to feel that knocking of fear in my head. And I was like, God, can I really do this? And I started to look, the, the fear in me started to look at the practicalities. But then my faith started to look at God and his love for me and the fact that he's promised to always provide for me. He's always going to meet my needs according to his riches in glory. He's promised to never let my foot slip. He's promised that I'll always have enough on every occasion so that I can be generous whenever he calls me to. I was looking at these promises in scripture and thinking, God loves me. And so in faith, I leapt and I remember giving a month's wages away and God in those uh, those coming months, totally coming through and being faithful. And it was a, a moment of learning generosity and courage alongside one another. But it was rooted in understanding my father loves me. I can live this way because he has got my back. He is surrounding me and he is my perfect provider. Uh, 1 John 4, 18 says, There is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. You see, friends, when you are more aware of God's love than anything else, the natural byproduct is that you'll be generous and courageous. Ultimately, whatever reality you are most aware of is the reality that will most function in your life. What, what, what you're aware of internally is the reality that you will produce externally. And so when we live lives of being overwhelmed and, 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 and surrounded by the reality of God loves me, it's natural to be generous and courageous. It's an overflow. And so today, you know, if you are honestly hand on heart, if you say, I'm not doing anything courageous at the moment. And I'm not really being very generous with my time or my money or my energy or my compassion. I'm kind of living for myself, really. It, if honestly, that's where you're at right now. But you want to change. Well, here's the place you start. You ask Holy Spirit to give you a fresh revelation of how much you're loved by God. Ask him. God loves to show you the depth of his love. He loves to give us encounters again with his love and his kindness and his goodness. I tell you what, if we lived overwhelmed by God, we will live overflowing lives towards other people. And so that's the first key for the guys in Antioch. They were people in love with God. And so they just lived courageously and generously. Uh, the second key was around the prophetic. And notice in this passage that 
we see prophets coming from Jerusalem to Antioch and they prophesy a famine is going to hit the Roman Empire. And in response to this prophetic word, the believers in Antioch start raising funds to help the poorest Christians in Judea, the Jewish Christians that were living in Judea. But it was in response to the hearing of a prophetic word. And here's the second key. If you're going to live a generous and courageous lifestyle, it flows out of hearing God. When you hear the words of God, it produces the kind of faith that means you can live generous and courageous lives towards other people. You know, Jesus on one occasion said this to his disciples in John 6, 63. He said, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. What Jesus is saying to us there is when I speak, they can, my words contain the DNA of life within them. And so when you partner with my words, life and fruitfulness is the result. It's a bit like eating food. You, you eat food because of the nutrients contained within it. Life is contained within food. Life would pretty, pretty quickly shrivel up if you stopped eating because of what's contained in the food. Nutrients for your body. Well, it's the same in the words of Jesus, contained in the nutrients of the words of Jesus to us. It is life. It's life to our souls. And the Christians in Antioch somehow tapped into this reality that when God speaks and we partner with him, the prophetic doesn't just predict the future, the prophetic helps to create the future. And when we put our hand in God's and say yes to him when he speaks, we have the ability to help create an alternative future ahead of us. And so their response of giving money was saying, we are going to create a different future for the poor believers in Judea when this famine hits. And we know that this is what happened. In the, the reign of, of Claudius, there was a four-year period across the whole of the Roman Empire in Egypt, in Rome, and across the provinces in Judea where severe famine was experienced because of successive bad harvests. So for four years, the poorest people particularly suffered the most because of poor crop harvests. But the church in Antioch was ahead of the game. They were able to release life and create a different future story because they partnered with the prophetic. See, we start to live generously and courageously when we partner with what God says. You know, I, I remember years ago um, prophesying over a young man in, in, in a conference and I just never met him before. I picked him out. He was at the back of the room. In fact, I remember he arrived late. He, he walked into the meeting about three quarters of the way through the meeting but I just felt the Holy Spirit highlighting to me and so I, I, I stopped him in his tracks and I said I just felt the Lord wants to speak to you and then I found myself prophesying over him that he was going to um, uh, be very creative and used by God particularly in music and I said I can see you playing the bass guitar 
And I just start, felt God starting to give me these words of knowledge. I said, I can see you playing bass guitar and becoming incredibly proficient and that God is going to bless you and he's going to use you to be a culture shaper in the music industry. And he said, I can see you uh, cutting your own music and starting to write your own songs and God's going to use you as a voice. And anyway, we then didn't get to meet after the meeting. We went our separate ways. And several years later, this guy came and found me in a completely different church. And he said, I don't know if you remember the moment when you prophesied over me. It was in a conference in Manchester. And he said, you prophesied about music and bass guitars and all that. And I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, did that mean anything to you? And he said, well, he said the remarkable thing was, he said, I was interested in music when you prophesied, but I didn't even know how to play any kind of instrument. But from the moment that you prophesied, it's like God released the grace and the faith into my life. And he said, ever since I've learned the bass guitar. Um, and he said, I just wanted to know what's happened since. He said, since you prophesied, I'm currently um, cutting my, my, my first piece of music, my first kind of CD, my first album. Um, I've been on tour and he named a very, very well-known uh, artist in the pop industry that he'd been on tour with. He's a session musician and he was just deep, thick into the music industry um, because God in that moment spoke and created the opportunity to create a different future. And because this young man decided to say yes in that moment, life was created. And suddenly a different story was written over his life. Friends, when God speaks, we've got an opportunity to partner with God in a way that creates a different future for people. God's words shouldn't just go in one ear and out the other. So often what happens with the prophetic is that it comes to us in seed form. You know, you take a little apple pip. It's hard to imagine that inside a little apple pip is an apple tree. But there is. Inside that little thing is the DNA of an apple tree. But it takes nurture. It takes the right environment to grow it. It, it takes some intentionality. We've got to do something with this little seed for it to turn into the end product. And so often... Prophetic revelation comes to us in little seed form because God is looking to see what we will do with it. Will we partner with what God says? Will we be courageous? Will we be generous towards the word of God in our life and so activate it so that it becomes something? Friends, what is God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with your little apple seed of revelation how are you going to pray over it, nurture it, bring it into being by partnering with Jesus? In Antioch, they didn't just hear these words. There's a famine coming and then carry on life regardless. They were like, God said something. So we are going to respond with courage and generosity. So ask yourself that question. What's God saying to you? What are you going to do about it? And then last of all, the third pillar or foundation of why they lived this courageous and generous lifestyle was uh, that they understood the principle of proportionality. And by proportionality, I mean this. We read in the passage that they sent relief to the brothers in Judea, but each brother gave what he could. In other words, they gave out of what they had. 
not what they didn't have. And that looked different for each one of them. They gave what they could, but they weren't comparing what they gave with somebody else that they were sitting next to. Because ultimately, God is not counting coins. He's looking at hearts. And so generosity and courage is actually about God looking at our heart response to him. It's not that he's comparing one act with another or, or, or how or incomes with another. He's looking at our hearts. You know, he could look at a, a widow, a poor widow, giving two tiny copper coins at the temple and say to his disciples, this woman has given more than anybody else. And the church in Antioch were proportional in the way that they gave. Courage and generosity is going to look different for different ones of us. You know, the story of one girl in our church who felt God speaking to her about her identity, about how she was a precious daughter. And so one day, courageously, she went out of a house for the day without any makeup on. And that was a courageous decision for her. That's brilliant. God's looking at the heart. You know, another one of our car park attendants saw a man walking past our building. He had no shoes on. He was homeless. Stopped the guy, had a conversation, worked out they were the same shoe size. And so gave this man his shoes. God's looking at the heart. It's beautiful. I remember when we first joined a, a missional community group, when we first joined the church, going out on the streets to tell people about Jesus, just showing up on the streets on a Thursday night took courage for me. But God was looking at my heart. You know, in terms of our generosity, God's looking at our hearts. But friends, what does it look like for you this year to live a courageous and generous lifestyle, particularly towards those who are from a different background than you? It could be something really simple. Invite someone to dinner. Talk to someone you've never met on a Sunday morning and say, do you want to come round my house for spaghetti bolognese or whatever it is you eat around your dinner table. It could be that you invite a friend along to the Alpha course. It could be that you share your story with someone at work of how you are a follower of Jesus and what that means to you. What does courage and generosity look like for you this year and how can you step into that? You know, if you don't give anything of your money, then start giving something you know, if you just give occasionally, then start to give regularly. You can find out all the details of how to do that on our website. But step into what God is calling you to do this year and live out of this principle of proportionality. So, friends, I want us to be known as one of the most generous, courageous churches in this nation. And to do that, we've got to understand these foundations of God's love. So critical of how the prophetic works, but also proportionality. God is looking at our hearts. So friends, thank you for listening today. God bless you. And ask yourselves this question from today. What's God said to me from this morning? And what am I going to do about it?